People, including two children, are critically injured in a Surrey house fire. Plus. It saves a lot of dumping in the cities. Every city municipality should do it. Free dump day. Is Surrey setting an example for other communities? And reaction after another historic BC statue is removed. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us tonight. There are grave concerns about the condition of three people critically injured in a Surrey house fire this morning. Four people were sent to hospital, including two children, when a Newton area home caught fire. Our Jordan Armstrong joins us now with the frightening details. Jordan. Colleen, talk about a terrifying situation. A basement suite engulfed in smoke with several people, including children, trapped inside. That's what Surrey firefighters found when they responded to the home on 144 B Street near 71st Avenue around 10.30 this morning. Two children and one adult were rescued from the suite. Tonight, we're told all three are in critical condition. A fourth person, possibly a bystander or family member, suffered non-life-threatening injuries. Cause of the fire is not yet known, but a charred mattress was taken out of the home by firefighters and can now be seen in the backyard. Damage is confined to the basement suite. We originally responded uh, four trucks and on arrival, the crew uh, upgraded it to a second alarm, which brought uh, two more units to the scene. At this time, between the Surrey Fire Service and the RCMP, uh, the investigation is in the early stages. It's not clear if the four victims are members of the same family. The ages and genders of the two children in critical condition also unknown. Colleen. Jordan, thank you. It is one of the most popular events in Surrey. Not a parade or a party. No, what had thousands lined up this morning was the city's free pop-up junk drop. As Grace Key reports, some say more programs like this should be implemented right across Metro Vancouver to truly make a dent in illegal dumping. Thousands of Surrey residents rolled up their sleeves and got rid of the clutter around their house. It's part of the city's free pop-up junk drop. Oh, it was all just like laying around the house. It was just like cluttered everywhere. It's a good uh, way to get all the stuff from being out in the streets. Surrey spends about a million dollars a year to clean up the mess from illegal dumping, but that's now dropped by 40%. The goal is to reduce it by half. We would rather have residents bring their material here to this event rather than having our own staff go out and collect the material. Um, from curbside or ditches or, or dead ends that are found illegally dumped. It's a popular event with traffic stretching for several blocks. When the program started in 2016, about 1,100 vehicles passed through here. It's now grown to more than 1,900. We'll take a look at it um, next year, just based on our numbers, because there was a significant spike in participation. I think every city municipality should do it, but uh, well, four times a year is not too bad. Saves a lot of dumping in the cities and country and everything else. On top of the four pop-ups a year, Surrey residents can put up to four large items for curbside collection for free. Other programs include a repair cafe for bikes and electronics, a reuse event in the fall, and a second residential drop-up facility for garbage and recycling to open next year. Grace Key, Global News.
The statue of the hanging judge, Matthew Begbie, was quietly removed from its home in front of the New Westminster Courthouse this weekend in what First Nations consider a move towards reconciliation. Not wanting to inflame a controversial move, the city invited First Nations to witness the statue's removal but chose not to publicize the event. In May, New West Council voted 4-2 to two to remove the statue of Begbie, B.C.'s first Supreme Court justice. He was infamously known for his role in the wrongful murder convictions of six indigenous chiefs in the aftermath of the Chilcotin War. The men were hanged in 2018. The federal government exonerated the chiefs and in 2018, the federal government exonerated the chiefs and the prime minister apologized for their executions. It represents a lot of pain, uh, not only to that nation that lost their six chiefs uh, to execution, wrongful execution. We also here have the first indigenous court in uh, British Columbia. And uh, for the participants of that court, uh, every court morning to walk by that statue, the reminder of uh, of the, the not very pleasant legacy of Judge Begbie. Um, we felt that this was too great a place of power to have that statue present. They felt a really powerful, uh, powerful relief from the removal of that uh, oppressive piece of public art. The statue will be stored in the city's old museum ahead of further discussions between Chilcotin chiefs and elders about whether it stays hidden or becomes a piece of the reconciliation story. The BC Civil Liberties Association is set to release what it calls a trove of heavily redacted documents related to the fight over a controversial pipeline project. The BC CLA alleges the Canadian Security Intelligence Service was monitoring the organizing activities and peaceful protests of Indigenous groups and environmentalists who were opposed to the now defunct Enbridge Northern Gateway Pipeline project. The association alleged CSIS was sharing its information with the National Energy Board and petroleum companies. The CSIS watchdog dismissed the allegations, finding the spy agency collected some information about activists, but only incidentally during the course of its investigation into legitimate threats to industry projects. Well, now a confidentiality order on the watchdog's report has been partially lifted, allowing the release tomorrow. Vancouver has one, so why shouldn't every B.C. municipality be able to implement a so-called empty home tax? That's what White Rock is asking in the ongoing fight for more affordable housing. Paul Johnson has more. Is the small city about to steal a move from the big city's playbook? Over the last number of years, we've had massive growth, massive development. In White Rock, Mayor Daryl Walker says even though his city is but a fraction the size of Vancouver, big city issues have made their way to his little city by the sea. Expensive real estate combined with more empty homes than many here ever remember. I think the number of empty homes in our community is definitely going up. So facing those two uncomfortable metrics, Walker is proposing that White Rock do what Vancouver and a handful of other cities around the world have done. Slap a tax on those who would keep a home empty, which he believes would incentivize occupancy and help raise money to acquire affordable housing. I think the whole idea is to try and increase the amount of livability in, in the city of White Rock and, and also affordable housing if, uh, if that's something we end up with uh, cash from. But there are a couple of obstacles to Walker's vision. 
In a quirk of provincial law, Vancouver is actually the only city in B.C. that has the power to enact something like an empty homes tax. Though he hopes the Union of B.C. Municipalities will help him get that changed. And then there's this. After years of the tax in Vancouver, rents are still high, the city is getting sued over it, and some researchers believe more units have been actually taken out of the market than have been made available. Well, much of that's debatable. Walker's new idea shows that many still feel insecure about housing, and local leaders are responding. If you don't want to pay the tax, then fill your home. Have people living there. Rent it out. Make sure that it's full, or at least good parts of it are full, and you're not going to have to worry about it. In White Rock, Paul Johnson, Global News. A major search was launched today on a mountainous trail in Chilliwack. Friends and family of Chris Couture have been desperately looking for any sign of him after he mysteriously disappeared back in January. As Kristen Robinson reports, many of the searchers out today journeyed from Alberta to help. What's going on here? My son's missing. Eva Couture directing a desperate effort to find her 25-year-old son, Christopher Couture. Your child, who's, and I've said this from the beginning, he's a piece of me, is missing. Uh, is he alive? Did something happen? Hoping for answers, the Edmonton mother returning to the Fraser Valley trailhead where she says Christopher's car, a gray Saturn 2000 with Alberta plates, was last spotted more than five months ago. Someone out there knows what happened. Christopher Sean Couture had moved to B.C. from Edmonton to work in construction before he disappeared in January. Mr. Couture recently moved to the Lower Mainland and reported to work in, Ridge, in Maple Ridge on January the 25th, 2019 and may have attended a gym in Burnaby on that same date. Mr. Couture's abandoned vehicle was located a short time later in the Chilliwack region. Family and friends from Alberta, along with countless BC volunteers, now scouring Chilliwack's Elk Thurston Trail. So is he out there? Keep looking. I need your help. For any clues that will help solve a mother's heartbreak. We believe he may have gone hiking on January 26th and fell. But what happened to Christopher remains a mystery that Eva Couture is determined to crack with the public's help. I need to find him. I need to bring him home. If he did fall, let me put him to rest. And if he's out there, please tell me. If, keep looking. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Surrey RCMP are asking for your help to find a missing man. Jazz Paul Sidhu was last seen at around 9.30 on the morning of July 2nd at 86th Avenue and King George Boulevard. He has not been seen or heard from since. He's 38, South Asian, 5'9", and weighs 161 pounds. He was last seen wearing a blue sweatshirt, jeans, and runners. He also requires medication for a non-life-threatening illness. It's unusual for him to be out of touch this long. If your summer reading list includes e-books from libraries, you may have to wait longer to check them out. It's all because of a cost increase from book publishers. Checking e- and digital audiobooks are commonplace at many of our local libraries, but more publishers have increased the cost to buy their books. Instead of a perpetual ownership model for libraries, they're changing it to a two-year access purchase. Libraries will have to pay staff to review and then repurchase expired titles.
What that means for us, besides the decision to repurchase every two years, is that we just won't be able to buy as many ebooks. People will have access to a less broad collection of library books. 25% of the library's circulation now is of digital content. So the way that it affects people is it'll mean longer waits for ebooks, and we'll have a little bit less ability to be buying the mid-list authors, the people who aren't the absolute bestsellers. Victoria's 25th annual Pride Parade going ahead today with police out of uniform. And the chief and his officers marching in black shirts with the rainbow lettered words, love proudly, live proudly, police proudly. The decision not to allow uniformed police came after consultations between the Victoria PD and the LGBTQ2 community. And the compromise, police would walk in civilian clothes at the event, which attracts upwards of 10,000 people celebrating love, diversity, and inclusion. We're trying to make Pride as accessible, especially to marginalized people, because, you know, looking back at the history of Pride, we see that marginalized people, people of uh, color, uh, trans, you know, they're the ones that really led Pride from the beginning. And so it's really important for Pride to be inclusive, especially for them. We most often associate thunderstorms with forest fires, but they can cause other serious damage, too. A woman living in the community of Coldstream near Vernon was rushed to hospital last night. As Jules Knox reports, her cell phone was charging when a nearby power pole was hit by lightning. An intense lightning storm sparking in Coldstream Saturday night. Power went out. I saw a white flash and an orange flash right after. Next door, Susan Christio was in her second floor bedroom when the lightning struck a power pole just outside. It was big flash. It hit, I, I seen the lightning straight up, like the lightning was there. It felt like it was almost in my room. Then, Christia says, she felt a jolt. I had pins and needles in my arm and my, arm, my shoulder was sore. So it was my right side because I was holding my cell phone while it was being charged. So I got a bit of energy from that. Worried her house had been struck by lightning, Verbeek called 911. After looking into it with the firefighters, one of them spotted um, the electricity pole by the road as like those three little pillars on top, and the one in the middle uh, was completely melted. Meanwhile, Christia was rushed to hospital. She's still shaken up and didn't want to go on camera, but says doctors ran several tests. They said I'd be fine, I'd be really weak, which I am, and my muscles would be sore, which they are. I was totally shrunk and melted. BC Hydro confirms an insulator was damaged in a lightning strike, causing nearly 2,000 customers to lose power for a couple of hours. The current from that strike would have um, you know, struck the power pole and gone through the power lines and basically caused a surge um, in, the, um, you know, in the electrical outlets uh, within her house. Environment Canada says that if there is lightning around your home, it's important to stay away from electrical appliances or anything that could conduct electricity, like bathtubs, sinks and showers. It also says you should avoid using a cell phone connected to a charger if there is a thunderstorm nearby, because lightning could strike a power pole and cause a surge. Jules Knox, Global News, Coldstream. All right. Barry is here. Yvonne is at the beach. Yvonne, I hope there are no thunder and lightning storms coming your way. I know that there's a bit of a tornado watch over the prairies, though. 
Yes, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that. But first off, we're down here at Sunset Beach. It's fantastic. The skies are starting to clear much drier. If you're planning on coming down, it is going to kick off at 7 o'clock with the VSO School of Music. And then the Vancouver Symphony Orchestra will be taking the stage just in behind me at 8 o'clock. It'll be fantastic. We're starting to see people filling in. So if you're planning on coming down, give yourself a little extra time. There are some road closures. The best way to come down is to take trans and then do a little bit of walking. Weather-wise, uh, tracking some active weather, yes. As you had mentioned, Colleen, we'll take a quick look. If you're uh, For the Prairie Provinces, the areas that are in blue, we do have a tornado watch and warning that is in effect. Uh, Environment Canada is tracking a few severe thunderstorms just over the southern areas of Saskatchewan that are po potentially could produce isolated tornadoes. Now, it is moving in a northeasterly direction at around 30 kilometres per hour. A few spots uh, that will be affected by it is Anasinaboinen and Armiston. So we'll continue to be watching that. That. and we'll also have your local forecast and more details on if you're planning on coming down to the symphony. Colleen? Sounds good. Glad it's drying out a little bit. Thanks, Yvonne. How it are is, you? I'm good. I was going to say, it is a wonderful night for the symphony. It is. Every, night. Every night's a good night yeah, for the great. symphony. It's classy. It's yeah. good to watch. Um, well, the uh, USA women's team, uh, they've kind of uh, certainly been virtuoso performance mm. again at the uh, World Women's World Cup in France. Really, no one really touched them in this tournament, and they uh, won the championship today against the Netherlands. We'll have highlights of that. And Adam Hadwin came very close to winning his second-ever PGA Tour event uh, out in Minneapolis. Came close, but he won like 350 grand, so pretty good weekend for Adam, you know. He can buy a few cigars yeah, he can, that. sure. <laughs> yeah, among other things. Yeah, all right. Thanks, Barry. Canada's premiers meet in Saskatoon on Tuesday, but Alberta Premier Jason Kenney is rallying the nation's conservative premiers in Calgary tomorrow. Kenney is hosting a private pancake breakfast for the premiers of Ontario, Saskatchewan, New Brunswick and the Northwest Territories. It's unclear what will be discussed, but Kenney is expected to find some common conservative ground on some items ahead of Tuesday's conference. Everyone will come to the table with sort of their concerns about interprovincial trade. Of course, our big concern is pipelines and mm -hmm. energy, and um, uh, other provinces will sort of have other concerns. And Premier Kenny's very much going to be pushing this idea of, um, you know, an energy corridor. Brown says the big focus for the premiers on Tuesday will be the upcoming federal election. Well, for a second straight day, smoke filled the skies in Winnipeg as forest fires in northwestern Ontario continue to spread. And now evacuations are underway in some Manitoba First Nations. Winnipeg is already dealing with drier than average conditions this season. And with forest fires burning in northwestern Ontario, the air quality in the city is becoming a concern. Yeah, it can be a real problem with people or for people with uh, asthma and, and breathing difficulties. But it's not just Winnipeg that's experiencing problems. The Canadian Red Cross is assisting in the evacuation of residents from Little Grand Rapids and Pungasi First Nation due to wildfire smoke in the communities. Families are being separated for a little bit, so it's uncomfortable. The Red Cross says it will be evacuating priority one residents first, which include the elderly, babies, and those with chronic respiratory problems. A maximum of 150 residents from Little Grand Rapids should be completely evacuated by the end of Sunday, while up to 50 residents will be evacuated from Pongasi First Nation. Evacuees will be sent to Winnipeg and will be provided shelter in hotels. Some of these individuals don't get to the city very often, so it's a strange place. And the Red Cross's role is to make it as, as comfortable as possible. 
Meantime, in Winnipeg, Environment Canada says air quality is expected to improve as winds push the smoke back towards the north. Austin Siragusa, Global News. Iran announced today it will raise its enrichment of uranium closer to weapons-grade levels. This breaks another limit of its unraveling 2015 nuclear deal with world powers, further heightening tensions with the U.S. Iran has already exceeded limits on its stockpile of enriched uranium under the agreement. The U.S. withdrew from the deal last year and restored crippling sanctions on Iran. The European Union says parties to the 2015 agreement are discussing a possible emergency meeting. A wealthy American financier who is also a registered sex offender will appear in court tomorrow facing new sex trafficking charges. 66-year-old Jeffrey Epstein was arrested yesterday in New York by federal authorities on allegations that date back to the early 2000s. One official says the billionaire is accused of paying underage girls for massages and molesting them at his home in Florida and New York. In 2008, Epstein pleaded guilty in Florida to charges of soliciting and procuring a minor for prostitution. The deal ended a federal investigation that could have landed him in jail for life. Instead, he got 13 months behind bars and reached financial settlements with dozens of his victims. He once counted U.S. President Donald Trump, former President Bill Clinton, and Prince Andrew as his friends. Deutsche Bank is cutting 18,000 jobs over the next three years as part of a radical restructuring. That would reduce its global workforce to 74,000. Germany's biggest bank also says it expects to report losses of 2.8 billion euros in its second quarter to pay for the reorganization. The struggling lender also intends to completely exit the buying, from buying and selling shares, much of which is conducted in London and New York. The bank is also trying to save 17 billion euros by 2022. The restructuring is aimed at reversing a sharp decline in the bank's fortunes. More than 16,000 people were evacuated from their homes and businesses in a district of Frankfurt, Germany today, so that a 500-kilogram World War II bomb could be defused. The American bomb was found during construction work last month, more than 70 years after the end of the war. Unexploded bombs are frequently found in Germany, and disposing of them sometimes requires large-scale evacuations. Some sad news out of Hollywood tonight. Actor Cameron Boyce, best known for his work as a Disney Channel star, has died at the age of 20. Boyce starred along Adam's, alongside Adam Sandler in the Grown Up franchise and was well known for his role in Disney Channel shows Descendants and Jesse. His family says he died from a seizure while sleeping, the result of an ongoing medical condition. Singer Stevie Wonder will be getting a new kidney in September. The Grammy Award-winning artist broke the news while performing live in London. Wonder told the crowd he has a donor in place and will take time off to recuperate. The 69-year-old living legend has 25 Grammys to his name, including winning Album of the Year three times. Uh, the move that has Starbucks issuing an apology to the police. We're going to have that right after Yvonne's forecast. But first this. Was it all yeah, a little bit of rain uh, led to a bit of a slow start to this year's car-free day on Commercial Drive. Many were carrying umbrellas and wearing ponchos before the skies finally cleared this afternoon. The event is the last of a series of street festivals in Vancouver this summer that celebrate less dependence on cars.
Yvonne is at the beach tonight where it has stopped raining. Thank goodness. Yes, the skies have cleared. It's dry now. And joining me is uh, Kelly Tweetsdale. You're with the Vancouver Symphony, uh, the School of Music. You're the president. Uh, tell us a little bit about the event and what we can expect for this evening. Well, tonight is going to be a beautiful night. The Vancouver Symphony Orchestra is going to take the stage at 8 o'clock with Maestro Otto Tausk. And we'll have a prelude concert at 7 p.m. with musicians from the School of Music. And what's new this year? What can we anticipate? This is the second annual event. And for people that are planning on coming down, it's a free event, which is great. Yes, it's free. Bring your blanket, your chair. Um, we have more food trucks. We have a lot of things to do with kids. Um, and what's new is we have our School of Music prelude concert which is going to feature fusion, jazz, and um, some of our young, most experienced string players. Great. And anything else that's coming up down the line for the Vancouver Symphony Orchestra? Well, next weekend you're going to want to be in the Orpheum because we're going to have Bugs Bunny on the big screen with the orchestra playing, and um, it'll be a grand time for all generations. Thank you so much, Kelly. We're very excited. There's starting to pe People are starting to fill in now, but you can still come on down. 7 o'clock, things uh, do start to kick off, and the main event will be at 8 o'clock, and it's uh, 90 minutes long, correct? That's right. Come Thank on down. Thank you so much. All right, so yes, we've been very lucky with the forecast. Uh, things are really easing off. Uh, we are going to see a bit of a change on the way for the beginning of the work week, so let's take a closer look. The tower cam right now is still showing us a few clouds overlooking English Bay. We will see that cloud cover build in once again, and that'll be for the morning hours. We're currently sitting at 18 degrees with an easterly wind. It's light right now at 11 kilometers per hour. A few other spots across the country, Kelowna sitting at 21, areas near Prince George at 20, and Terrace with the current temperature at 25 degrees, Victoria sitting at 15. Now, the moisture is just sitting to the south of us. If we do see any, it'll be very light, isolated, or a chance for some drizzle late this evening and overnight, and that'll take us in towards the morning hours. We are still looking at a few thunderstorms. The bulk of it right now still pushing its way into the southeastern areas, the Colombian Kootenai, and a few spots into the Thompson Okanagan, which will dissipate as we get into the evening. Tomorrow morning across the south coast, so we still have cloud cover, a chance for some drizzle. It'll clear, though, as we get get closer towards the noon hour, a nice improvement, a pleasant change for us across the south coast, but that system is still stalled across the interior and we are looking at the risk of thunderstorms once again, and that'll stretch in from the northeastern corners, central and southern interior, so one more unsettled day, and then looking ahead towards our Tuesday, there are some breaks. Upper level chart showing us a weak ridge that is going to build in. Tuesday is when we'll see that sunshine, a nice clearing for many areas, and then on Wednesday, Thursday. It is a bit unsettled. We've got a system, a weak one moving in. It'll be chance of showers and cloud cover for many spots. The northern half of the province tomorrow, so there's the cloud cover. A chance for some showers will be along coastal sections. It's a risk of a thunderstorm inland, especially along the central interior tomorrow. Prince George bumping up to 19 degrees. The morning, it's a chance of showers for a few spots into the southeastern areas, but by the afternoon with the daytime heating is when we're looking at the risk of thunderstorms. Lona tomorrow will still bump up to 27 degrees. Whistler will see the cloud cover for the morning hours, a clearing by the afternoon, and most areas right along the south coast and the island. The northern and western areas of the island could see that morning drizzle, cloud cover, and then a clearing. So we are looking at some breaks tomorrow. Temperatures will bump up. It'll be pleasant with a high of 23 degrees. Tuesday we'll start off with some sunny breaks, and then as we approach the evening, that's the next weather maker that is going to push in. Wednesday looks to be the soggy out of the bunch so get out and enjoy tomorrow we'll see some sunshine and if you are
are planning on coming down, things are going to kick off at 8 o'clock. Colleen? All right. Have fun down there. Thanks, Yvonne. New controversy for Starbucks. The company met with police in Tempe, Arizona today and will do so again tomorrow, trying to make amends after an uncomfortable confrontation. A store employee asking six officers to leave on behalf of a customer. Tonight, Starbucks is apologizing publicly and in person. The meeting between Tempe police and company officials set to go into a second day tomorrow. The company moving quickly to quiet the controversy that has lit up social media with the hashtag Dump Starbucks. It all started on July 4th when six Tempe police officers were enjoying their drinks at this Starbucks. That's when one of the employees said that a customer was uncomfortable with their presence and asked them to move from their line of sight. The cops instead deciding to leave. Nobody should be asked to leave if all they're doing is just having a cup of coffee. I think it's valid to a degree to be afraid because you don't know who's good and who's not. The Tempe Officers Association at first called the situation disheartening and offensive, but today saying they hope this can be a learning opportunity. We can move forward and, and connect to our community, and hopefully people will feel safe around law enforcement, because that's yeah. why we got into this job. It's not the first time the company has come under fire. Hi, I have two gentlemen in my cafe that are refusing to make a purchase or leave. In this 2018 viral video, police handcuffed two black men at a Philadelphia Starbucks, igniting protests and sit-ins from people accusing the coffee giant of racial profiling and prompting Starbucks to temporarily close thousands of stores nationwide for mandatory anti-bias training. In a statement tonight, Starbucks calling the Tempe incident completely unacceptable and say they are already taking the necessary steps to ensure this doesn't happen again in the future. Kendis Gibson, NBC News. A sea of orange, yes, this boisterous group of Dutch soccer fans in the U.S. watched as their team took on the United States in today's FIFA Women's World Cup final. But it was not to be for the Netherlands. Aww. Good for the Americans. All short. Yeah, the, the Dutch are the uh, reigning European champs. So they're, a lot of the programs are starting to catch up to the Americans. Canadians, one of them, but not not, not quite. quite yet. We're going to get to that in just a second. We're going to start with uh, ah. a little golf, a little local boy to start here. Thanks very much, Colleen. Well, it seems like uh, Adam Hadwin's been around a long time on the PGA Tour, but really he's only been a full-time member since 2015. So this is his fifth full year. He's only 31 and is just starting to reach the prime of his career. Of course, he won the Valspar Championship back in 2017. He had a runner-up earlier this year in the Desert Classic in the Palm Desert in California, and he was right in the mix again today in Minneapolis in the final round of the inaugural 3M Open. Hadwin just a shot off the lead when the day began, but a very bunched-up leaderboard, so a lot of guys with a chance to win. Eighth hole, Adam to eight. Very good putter when he gets going. Rolls in the birdie, gets to minus 16. He remains one shot off the lead. Go to 12. Now his third shot on the par 5. This is his strength. Very good with iron in hand from 71 yards out. Nice touch to 6 feet. So he has got that to tie for the lead. And Hadwin does just that. He's at 17 under. There's a four-way tie at the top. Now to 14. Adam with a 12-footer to take the outright lead. Slightly uphill, just not enough. Leaves it short. Remains tied for the lead. 18th hole, Hadwin's third shot from 116 yards. It's beautiful tempo there. This is uh, fantastic again. Spins it back to about three and a half feet. He would make it for birdie. 
hosts 18 under, had the clubhouse lead, but would finish fourth, although he did cash a check for $350,000, so not bad. But playing behind him, two PGA Tour rookies, 22-year-old Colin Morikawa in on a sponsor's exemption, just his fourth PGA tournament ever, just uh, finished his college career on the 15th. Look at that shot led to a birdie. Playing with Morikawa, 20-year-old Matthew Wolf, his third ever tournament. He's got the hitch in his swing there, but he won the NCAA individual title. He's a big talent, and that is tight. He also made birdie. Wolf with a one-shot lead. Now on 18, Bryson DeChambeau is one off the lead, but he will hit this spectacular second shot on the par five. It is a six-iron to six feet below the hole. Couldn't have put that one any better. DeChambeau, the mad scientist, is pumped, and even more so after he coolly sinks the eagle putt. He has got the lead at minus 20, but Wolf also has an eagle chance at 18 from the fringe, and would you believe it goes down? Matthew Wolf jumps ahead of DeChambeau, who cannot believe it. He uh, thought at least he was going to a playoff, but he's not going to win this one. Morikawa can force a playoff if he can sink his eagle attempt, but just slides by. Finishes tied for second with DeChambeau. 20-year-old Matthew Wolf in just his third event ever is a PGA Tour champion. Adam Svensson of Surrey and Merritt's Rogers Sloan both finished 15th, uh, and they won 106,000. Nick Taylor finished tied for 46th. The USA got the headlines for all the wrong reasons in their first World Cup game a few weeks ago when they thumped Thailand 13-0 but came under fire for excessive celebrations during a blowout victory. Agree or disagree with their bravado? The Americans have plain been the best team in France this month and they proved it again today in the final, beating the Netherlands 2-0 to win their second straight World Cup title. The Dutch are the defending European champions. They've had a great tournament. They beat Canada, but they were under siege in the first half. 27th minute off the corner. Julie Ertz thumps one from close range, but Sari Van Veenendaal punches it away. And then later, it's USA sharpshooter Alex Morgan who gets a hold of one. Again, the Dutch keeper to the rescue. Nil-nil at the half. But near the hour mark, this high boot in the box makes contact, and it is called a penalty after being reviewed by VAR. So Megan Rapino from the spot. She's had an excellent World Cup. That's her sixth goal tied for the tournament lead. She'd win the Golden Boot Award. 1-0 USA. Eight minutes later, Rose Lavelle. Fantastic effort. Puts a capper on this one. 2-0 Americans. That's the way it ends. The USA win their second straight FIFA Women's World Cup, their record fourth overall in the eight events played since 1991. Meanwhile, tonight, the American men with a chance for a trophy, the CONCACAF Gold Cup final against Mexico being played in Chicago. Josie Altador of Toronto FC with a great chance, cuts it back, but just rolls it wide. Nil-nil, midway through the first half, we'll have complete highlights at 11. The Copa America final, Brazil and Peru from Sao Paulo, so big home turf advantage for Brazil. 15th minute, it'll be the Brazilians opening the scoring. Everton with the one-touch finish there, 1-0 Brazil. And after Peru tied it from the spot, Gabriel Jesus puts Brazil back in front. Finds the corner, 2-1 for Brazil at the half, and then it stays that way until late. In the 90th minute, they're awarded a penalty, and Richarlison puts it away from the spot, and Brazil win the Copa America 3-1 over Peru. 
the Whitecaps will have to go on some kind of a run over their final 14 games if they're going to make the playoffs. As it stands right now, Vancouver is 11th out of 12 teams in the West. They are seven points out of the final playoff spot, but they also have to climb over four teams. Last night, the Whitecaps got to see up close and personal what a championship team looks like as they got thumped 6-1 by league-leading Los Angeles FC. Whitecaps, one of only two teams to beat LAFC this season, but that was at BC Place back in April. This game was in L.A. It started well for Vancouver. Five minutes in, Jordy Reyna takes advantage of the miscommunication there between goalkeeper and defender, slots it into the empty net. 1-0 Vancouver. Reyna in fine form. Third goal in four matches. But that was the end of the joy for the Whitecaps. LAFC charged back. They tied it at one. And then just before half, Carlos Vela with the service on the corner. Adama Diamande heads it in. 2-1 LAFC at halftime. And then in the opening minute of the second half, the Canadian Mark Anthony Kay with a screamer past Canadian teammate Max Cripo, great goal for K, made it 3-1. And then a few minutes later, Carlos Vela adds to his MLS leading goal total. That's Vela's 18th. The entire Whitecaps team has 22. That made it 4-1, and Vela got one more. Chaos in the box, gets his second and ends 6-1. Whitecaps totally outclassed. They dropped to 4-8-8 in the West Division. That is second last in the conference. When you win ugly like the Lions did yesterday in Toronto, you say things like, well, they don't ask how, just if you win. Two points is two points, you know? Uh, anything to take away from the fact it was not a performance that breeds confidence from the fan base. I mean, to beat the lowly Argos just 18 to 17, that's not acceptable, especially the way it all went down. The Lions had the lead in the final minutes, but like they did in Calgary last week, could not make a stop defensively. Toronto got a late touchdown from James Wilder Jr. and a two-pointer to tie it 17-17. But the Lions drove it to the Argo 35, and on the final play of the game, Sergio Castillo with a field goal attempt to win it. It's wide, but while fielding the kick, Chris Rainey stepped out of bounds, so it's a single point, and the Lions win 18-17. Failed to make the kick, but still won the game, only in the CFL. It's a win, unimpressive for sure, but the Lions will take what they can get. That was bizarre. BC is home to Edmonton on Thursday. Baseball today, Blue Jays and Orioles from Rogers Center. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. continues his power-hitting tear. A two-run shot to center. He's got 16 home runs. He's only played 53 games. He was in the minors for the first month of the season. In the sixth, Rowdy Telez will send the double to left. Vladdy Guerrero Jr. scores. Jays win 6-1. 34-57 record at the All-Star break. The All-Star game goes Tuesday in Cleveland. Tomorrow is the home run hitting contest. Second stage of the Tour de France, the team time trial, and this is impressive. Yesterday, opening stage winner Mike Tunison and his team, uh, Jumbo Visma out of the Netherlands, powering their way around Brussels. Today, they dominate all the way to the finish line. They won it by 20 seconds, 27.6 Ks in just under 29 minutes. Average speed, 57 Ks, or about 35 miles an hour. That's pretty impressive. Tunison retains the yellow jersey. BC Super Week Cycling, the Tour de Delta. This is the white spot road race. We'll start with the uh, women, eight laps, 104 kilometers. The Canadians had a good day around the streets and hills of Tawasin. It came down to a three-woman sprint to the line, and Vermilion, Alberta's Allison Jackson won it. Montreal's Marie 
Soleil Blay was second. Now the men's race, a little bit longer, 12 laps, 155 Ks. That's just under 100 miles. Bit of a leisurely pace early, but then it ramped up and quite a large sprint for the finish. This was so close. Samuel Bassetti of Santa Rosa, California, won by an eyelash. BC Superweight continues Tuesday with the New West Grand Prix. So this is this, the, not the greatest in the world there at the Tour de France, but the second tier. And there's a lot of them have been to the Tour de France. That's how good they are. But it's wow. great cycling. That's okay. If you want to avoid a wild encounter with a bear while camping, Barry, you need to take along items that pass the ultimate sniff test, literally. Well, some folks in Montana have invented what they hope is a bear-proof container for campers. You're about to see if it works. At the Grizzly and Wolf Discovery Center in West Yellowstone, Montana, something smells fishy. So this is a peanut butter and jelly and fish and dog, dog food sandwich. Yep. Locked and loaded. This is the moment that Holly and Jim Jaleski have been waiting for after inventing what they hope is a grizzly-proof canister for backpackers like themselves. Are you a little nervous? I'm a little nervous. I'm a little excited. And we've been working on this for about a year. The number of bear-human encounters has grown in recent years. Bears in pools, homes, stores. And a big part of the problem, says bear expert Randy Gravatt. Their incredible sense of smell. Their sense of smell is the greatest that they have. A bear can smell up to 18 miles away. That's why the center started the Bear Product Testing Program. Companies that make everything from coolers to garbage cans to backpacks pay to see if their products are bear resistant. And within minutes, the bears start getting nosy. This has to be one of the only places in the world where you do product testing in front of a live audience over yeah. there. And uh, sadly, a lot of times they root for the bears. You got the money on the bear, the container. Uh, yeah. yeah, on the bear. <laughs> on the bear? Yeah. So they're rooting for the bears. And you, uh, you guys are probably the only ones that are rooting for this, huh? Yeah. <laughs> if a product lasts more than an hour without breaking, a grizzly-proof certification. But this grizzly, the bearer of bad news, cracking the canister, well, one of his friends snacks on our lens. Those bear testers all brought here from the wild after too many close calls with humans. Once a bear gets that easy food reward, they're going to come back each and every time. The hope is more bear-proof products will mean fewer dangerous encounters. And with one remaining prototype to be tested, Holly and Jim hold their breath. You passed by about three seconds. The couple overjoyed after their final canister just barely passes the test. Gotti Schwartz, NBC News, West Yellowstone. Hopefully no bears down at Sunset Beach for the symphony at Sunset, Yvonne. Haven't spotted any here, uh, but lots of people, if you're planning on coming down, give yourself some extra time, and it'll be dry uh, for this evening and a bit of drizzle for our Monday morning. Guys? All right, stay dry and have fun. Any last word? Yeah, well, I was thinking uh, you should have something the bears can get into. So while they're eating that, <laughs> then you run. Just a thought. You know, you're this is how, always this is how a thinking. Bear, this is how this bear's mind works. Always right? thinking. Thanks, Barry. Thanks for watching. <laughs> Join us at 11.